Exodus chapter 19, starting at verse 1. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The, God called, the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know that I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is a message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. Be sure they are ready on the third day, for on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. No hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. They must be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up on the mountain. So Moses went down to the people. He consecrated them for worship and they washed their clothes. He told them, get ready for the third day and until then, abstain from having sexual intercourse. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast from the ram's horn grew louder and louder 
Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it's been wonderful to be reading through the first five books of the Bible and immersed over these last number of weeks and to continue to do that over the weeks ahead. And recently in Genesis, we read how humanity forfeited God's blessing through sin and rebellion and how God in his mercy made a covenant sealed in blood with Abraham so that he could bless Abraham's family and through Abraham's family, he could bless the entire world. And so then we begin to read the story of Abraham's descendants throughout the rest of the Old Testament and how God is seeking to rescue humanity through that family. And yet that family quickly, well, relatively quickly, turns into a a nation. 400 years pass between the time that the 70 descendants of Jacob go in the midst of a famine into Egypt And then just over 400 years later, the the family has has multiplied under God's blessing into a nation of over one million people, over one million Israelites. But one, a nation that is brutally enslaved by Pharaoh. As we read Exodus, we, we read of Egypt and we read of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh demonstrates what godless society looks like. In Genesis, we encountered uh, right from Cain killing Abel and everything that flowed from that. We encountered Babel and the city and the Tower of Babel, which epitomizes evil. And yet when we turn to Exodus, we see that somehow evil itself seems to have multiplied as well. There's this great nation called Egypt and Pharaoh epitomizes evil. He is the ruler of this nation of Egypt. He thinks that it's good to treat God's people cruelly, and he even orders his people to carry out genocide. He says and gives his order, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. Now, the population of Northern Ireland is probably not far off what the population of the people of Israel was all those years ago. And can you imagine if the government gave a law that said every boy born in Northern Ireland must be put to death? That's the scale of the genocide that is happening under Pharaoh's rule. Well, we saw God intervene to rescue his people in Genesis and how through Jacob's son, Joseph, God saved the people of Israel from famine. And we see here in Exodus how he starts to turn Pharaoh's evil upside down as an Israelite mother throws her baby boy into the Nile, but she puts him first into a basket that is waterproof. Eventually, he will become the man whom God uses to defeat Pharaoh's evil. And so many years later, at the burning bush on Mount Sinai, also Mount Horeb, the Lord calls to Moses, reminiscent of the encounter that Stephen spoke of last week between God and Jacob, and says, 
Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. One of the wonderful things that we see in reading the Old Testament and in these five books at the start of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, is that God gradually reveals himself ever more fully to his people. And these passages in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush and Exodus chapter 19 that we read of today, first of all, whenever God appears to Moses in fire at the bush, and then in Exodus chapter 19, he appears to the whole people of Israel in a blazing mountain that, that smoked like a fire killing. Uh, it must have been an awesome experience to stand there, one to two million people standing around the base of this mountain, which seemed to be literally on fire with the presence of God, both physically and spiritually. So God calls Moses and says to him, you are to go to Pharaoh to order him to release the Israelites. But Moses protests to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answers, gives this wonderful answer, this twofold answer. First of all, he says, I will be with you. And at the Bible, we know that quite often that's the only word of assurance that God gives. What else does he need to say? I will be with you. And then he gives Moses this retrospective sign, which basically is saying, well, you will know that I have been with you when you lead those million or so Israelites out of Egypt to this very place that we're standing today at the burning bush. Moses may well have thought, well, it's not very helpful to tell me that this is going to happen by giving me a sign that I won't see until after it's actually happened. But that's what God says. Trust me. I will be with you. Trust what I'm saying to you. As we read Exodus, we know that Pharaoh resists, and there ensues a confrontation between the Lord and Pharaoh. Moses repeatedly offers Pharaoh an opportunity to humble himself and let the people go, but again and again, Pharaoh refuses. And a plague is sent by the Lord as judgment on Pharaoh and on one of his Egyptian gods. And so, for example, in the ninth plague of darkness, God, Yahweh, the Lord, reveals the impotence of Re and the number of the other Egyptian deities that were related to the sun. In other words, God was saying, I will show you that I'm more powerful than your God of the sun by sending darkness. Then the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn sons of Egypt revealed the impotence of Pharaoh himself, who held himself up as a god before his people. He demanded to be worshipped as a god by his people. And in the tenth and final plague, Yahweh shows that Pharaoh cannot even protect his own son or the firstborn sons of his nation. The Israelites sacrificed a young spotless lamb, 
and tainted its blood, painted its blood on the doorframe of their house. When the divine plague came over Egypt, the houses covered with the blood of the lamb were passed over and the sun was spared. And so began the annual commemoration and celebration of God's justice and mercy called Passover. So Pharaoh, tragically, he loses his son as do the Israelites, as do the Egyptians, their firstborn son. But the Israelites' firstborn sons are saved. He lets, the Pharaoh lets the Israelites leave. But then he changes his mind, gathers his army, and chases after the Israelites. The Israelites pass through the sea safely. Pharaoh, with his army, charges towards his own destruction. And following this, Moses and the people of Israel sing the very first song of the Bible, the Song of the Sea, in Exodus chapter 15. They praise the Lord who confronts evil. They praise the Lord who redeems slaves. They praise the Lord who leads his people to the promised land and dwells among his people. And so the Israelites live under God's kingship in the wilderness, but they grumble. And although he provides for them, they criticize God and Moses for rescuing them. And it's clear the Israelites are not all that they should be. But nonetheless, exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrive back where God met Moses at the burning bush. They arrive back at the base of Mount Sinai. The Lord has kept his word to Moses. This time it's not just Moses, it's the whole people of Israel who meet with the Lord. And again, his holiness, the holiness of God is clear. He's revealed his name, Jehovah, Yahweh. The term we use, the name we use is the Lord. Uh, a name which even today the Jewish people will not say aloud. It's too sacred to say. Moses knew of the holiness of God in the encounter, so much so the Lord said to him, take off your shoes, the place where you're standing is holy ground. The people of Israel too were called to consecrate themselves physically by washing their clothes and spiritually. They were warned too that anyone touching the mountain of God's presence would be put to death. Through Moses, the Lord said to the people, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. And all the, for all the earth belongs to me and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. The role of priests is to be a point of connection between God and people. And so in calling the people of Israel to be his kingdom of priests, the Lord was furthering his plan to bring all people under his rule and blessing 
through a kingdom of priests to bring all nations to him through the nation of Israel. This calling on Israel was a wonderful privilege. And yet the history of the Old Testament demonstrates the challenges within a covenant made in blood between a holy God and his people who despite being given God's law are often unholy. We know that this call upon the nation of Israel was ultimately fulfilled through one man, Jesus Christ, the representative man, the one true Israelite who alone has kept the covenant and paid the price for human beings not obeying the Lord or keeping our side of the agreement to be holy as God is holy. Jesus, of course, is the Lord himself born among us to bring us to, to bring about a new covenant. That's why we have the New Testament that describes the new covenant. The word testament means covenant. So when we turn to the pages of the gospel writers, we read about the new deal that God has brought about between himself and human beings. And how at the start of John's gospel, we read what this new covenant looks like. John writes, he, meaning Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God, his unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Through the new covenant, not only are we God's holy nation, God's holy people, we are also now God's holy family. We are, through Jesus Christ, adopted into the family. And as John says, we are actually children of God. And so Peter, one of the disciples, says to the Christian community in 1 Peter 2, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Or as it says in the Exodus, God's treasured possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. All of us 
used to live in the land of slavery. But the story of Scripture, God's love letter to us, is that God pursues us like the hound of heaven with a relentless love. God never tires of pursuing us, never tires of seeking to have a close bond relationship with us, a relationship in which we can discover what does it mean to be fully human? What does it mean to know that we are deeply and profoundly loved? What does it mean to know that we are a treasured possession of God, that we are not a random collision of atoms with no purpose whatsoever? We are created in the image of God to rule on earth for the good of all creation and to give the worship of the earth back to the one who has created everything. And to be holy as God is holy. When we encounter God through Jesus Christ, we encounter both this intense burning love of the Father, and we also encounter the awesome holiness of God. In a way, it seems like a, an amazing paradox because I know in the sense of meeting with the holiness of God, there is that sense of a holy fear that comes over us when we meet and enter the presence of God. And yet in that place, we are not afraid because the Holy Spirit is whispering to us that through Christ we can say, Abba, Father. We can speak to God the Holy One, as we speak to a Father. And so through baptism, being baptized into this reality of the presence of God through Jesus Christ, there's the echoes of God's people being bought, brought through the Red Sea of judgment and into the place of God's blessing, a place where we will dwell with Him and He with us. We are the children of God. We are royal priests. We are a holy nation. We are God's very own treasured possession. And we are in a covenant blood bond with the Holy Lord through Jesus Christ, never to be separated. That's why Jesus' final words to his disciples were to do with the fact that he would be with us always. What a wonderful privilege and calling we have to be a people who show others the goodness of God. And the evidence for all this, the evidence that it is all true and real, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so as John, the gospel writer, records towards the end of his gospel, that Sunday evening the disciples were meeting together behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus, who had been crucified and died, was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, 
so am I sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What a wonderful call from God that we are not only forgiven, made holy and spirit-filled with the presence of God, but we have now a call to show the world what justice and mercy look like. And so as we encounter pride, either in our own lives or in the lives of others, we are to overcome it with humility. As we encounter evil, we are to overcome it, not with evil, but with goodness. When we encounter injustice in this world, we are to overcome it with justice. When we encounter lies, we are to overcome with truth. When we encounter brokenness, we are to overcome with healing. What an amazing thing that we are part of God's restorative work of making all things new, bringing all of creation under God's rule and blessing, and that we, as God's holy people in Christ called to be holy like our heavenly Father, our calling is to show others the goodness of God, to do it in Jesus' name and by the power of His Holy Spirit. Because as the whole book of Exodus shows us, as the whole Bible shows us, the Lord delivers. The Lord is in the deliverance business, in the rescue business. There is no one too far, no one too far gone beyond the pale that God cannot reach out and whisper through Jesus Christ, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weighed down, who are burdened, who are burnt out, who feel you're at the end of your tether. You have no more strength or energy to get up and try something new every day. And Jesus says to us, come to me, all you who are weary and burned out, who are burned out on false religion, who are burned out on trying to do things our own way and just going round and round in circles. The Lord delivers. He's been doing that throughout history. And ultimately, He has done it and will continue to do it through His Son, Jesus Christ. And amazingly, He calls us, those who were once not a people, those who were once not holy, but are now a people, who are now the family of God, who are now made holy and right with God through Jesus Christ and are continually being renewed and made new by the power of the Holy Spirit to show the world in word and deed the goodness of God. What a privilege we have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're amazed that you've made us co-workers with Christ, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you call us to be compassionate and loving and holy and pure and good. And by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling among us and in us, you are enabling that to happen.
in the name of Jesus Christ. Fill us afresh with your holy, holy, holy spirit. May we burn with your holiness like the fire of the burning bush or the fire on Mount Horeb. May we burn with holiness. May our thoughts, our words, and our deeds burn with your holiness. May we be a people who are compassionate and merciful and show all the goodness of God, the power of God, the salvation of God, the fullness of God, the healing of God. And Lord, may all the glory go to you, the one who has adopted us by your grace and mercy as children of God, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen.